Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Easy to find. If you go to Acts, you've gone too far. John, chapter 1. We will begin reading in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend a while on grace and truth today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how I plead that the Holy Spirit of God would make these truths from the Word of God clear to every heart. For any without Christ, convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, turn their heart to their need for the Son of God, and may they trust Him today. For believers, dear God, help us to understand these very clear terms in the Scripture. And Lord, to be a people of both grace and truth. And Father, we'll thank you for everything that you do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage, we read twice here that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. At the end of verse 14, well, just look at the whole verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we read back in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, notice, and the Word was God. Now, he identifies the Word for us. Matter of fact, John the Baptist came to bear witness of him. In verse 29 of chapter 1, he said of Jesus later on, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But who is this word that is called, that is God? It says in the word, in verse 14, was made flesh. When was God ever made flesh? When he came down to this earth, wrapped himself in flesh to be born of the Virgin Mary. We're talking about Jesus Christ himself. He says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, some may wonder how in the world these two things can possibly fit together, grace and truth. You know, there are a lot of times that we preach messages that are true, but unfortunately for a lot of people sitting under the preaching of the word of God, they don't have a clue what those words mean. And if they don't understand what the words mean, they're going to have a hard time figuring out what the truth then of the message is. And so I think it's a good idea to define a few terms that are often used 
in Bible preaching churches. Uh, first of all, and I'm not going to do grace and truth first, but let me de- just deal with mercy for a moment. Mercy is basically this, not getting what you deserve. The Bible says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. First compassions fail not. They are made new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, the Bible is very clear in its teaching for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And there are consequences for sin. The consequence for sin is this. The wages of sin is death. Interesting that it's described as the wages of sin. Everybody should have at least some clue about what wages are because you understand if you work a job, they have made an agreement to pay you so much money for that job, whether it be by the hour or whether it be by the job or whether it be by the day, however they decide to do it. And when you go into your employer and it's payday time, you expect a check or at least cash or something that you have earned. Well, God says that we have earned something for our sin. And since we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God, we have all earned exactly the same thing. The wages of sin is death. Now, I know we like to think, but I'm not as bad as other people are. But God says, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care if you're talking about the person that attends the bars or, and the brothels or the person that attends church every Sunday. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve the same thing. We deserve his judgment. The very fact that any of us have life today is part of the mercy of God. He's not given us what we deserve. We deserve death. He's given us another day of life. That's his mercy. You see, the Bible says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But get this, the wrath of God abideth on him. What keeps the wrath of God from falling upon that person? The mercy of God. That's what keeps it from happening. It's not getting what you deserve. But then there's the word grace. Matter of fact, we have a lot of churches named Grace Church or Grace Baptist Church or, or whatever. But what does the word grace mean? It basically has this idea. I know people have used it as an acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. And those sound nice. And for the redeemed, we can get a hold of that. But for those who've not been saved, that, that really acrostic doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. Whereas mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. None of us deserve heaven. The only way anybody can get there is by the grace of God. You getting what you don't deserve. Now listen, that verse I quoted a moment ago about sin. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've earned the wages of sin, which is death. That's what we deserve. But eternal life is not something anybody deserves. It is a gift offered through Jesus Christ. Bible says this is the record. God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. The very opportunity for heaven is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Without his death, burial, and resurrection, nobody would have any hope of getting to heaven. Understand that. You cannot earn it. It is only gained by grace through faith. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defined grace as free, unmerited love and favor. Ephesians 6, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 puts it this way. For by grace, something you don't deserve, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, get it again, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you can't earn it, you don't deserve it. And yet he offers it to you. Now, there are people that teach a combination of grace and works. 
in spite of the fact that Romans chapter 11 and verse 6 makes it very, very clear. If it be of grace, then is it no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more works. As a matter of fact, turn over to Romans just a moment. And I want you to notice in chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Romans chapter 4 and beginning in verse 3. The apostle asked the question, for what saith the scripture? And see, that's the key. What does the Bible say? He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you did so many good things in order to get to heaven, and if that was the way you got to heaven, then God would owe you heaven because of your works. So he says again, Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Faith is not works. Faith is just simply taking God at his promise. God promised eternal life to all that put their faith and trust in his son. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, the scripture says, to everyone that believeth. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. So heaven is something you do not deserve. Now, that's one of the reasons why we believe in the eternal security of the believer. That once you take Christ as Savior, he gives you eternal life. You can't lose it because the very thought that you could lose it means that you would not deserve it. But you don't deserve it now. It's by grace through faith. It is eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's eternal life forever with him. So with those terms in mind, that leads us to the next term, which is truth. Remember, Pilate asked the question of Jesus, what is truth? Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 17 to the Father, thy word is truth. The psalmist said in 119, 160, he said, thy word is true from the beginning and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. This book right here is truth. That's why my last verse is Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. You see, on how you get to heaven, it's not a Baptist preacher or a Methodist preacher or a Presbyterian preacher or a Church of God preacher. It's not a white preacher, a black preacher, uh, a brown preacher. It has nothing to do with that. It's what does the truth say? This is how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. He even says that. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't get to heaven by trusting the preacher. You don't get to heaven by trusting the church. You don't get to heaven by trusting your baptism. You don't get to heaven by trusting anything about you except trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That's it. Now, we are not saved by mercy. We are saved by grace. Mercy gives you the opportunity to be saved. Mercy keeps the judgment of God from destroying you. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. And thank God, I think about my first 22 years of life, living without Jesus Christ as my Savior. God didn't owe me life for 22 years. It was by his mercy he didn't destroy me. And I had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Had I not accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have remained lost and all it would have taken for me to end up in hell would have been simply to die. Mercy kept me alive so I could hear the gospel. I still had to trust Christ as my Savior. 
The two main terms in this passage are grace and truth. The Bible says that Jesus was full of both. Now listen to this. You can have truth without grace. But you cannot have grace without truth. It's very important that you understand the difference in the two. In Colossians 1, 6, the scripture says, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. You can only experience the amount of grace that you have, that you have truth. In other words, truth is a key. Jesus said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. There are a lot of meetings going on in churches where people get excited about it. And boy, they are truly excited about the religious experience. But religious experience is not what saves you. Just because you're in a church, just because you're singing songs to Jesus, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It means you're in a church singing songs to Jesus. But if you're not trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm talking about the Jesus of this book. If you're not trusting the true Jesus, if you're trusting another Jesus, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses, their Jesus is, was the archangel Michael who became, not was, but who became a God. That's the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jesus of the Mormons is a Jesus who is the half-brother to Lucifer. That's a different Jesus. That's not the Jesus of this book. You can cry unto that Jesus all day long. That Jesus won't save you. You've got to have the Jesus who is God as described in the Scripture. Now, here's the thing about grace, um, grace and truth. Jesus was full of both. He wasn't half and half. He was full of both, grace and truth. Now, let me give you some points here to hopefully clarify this. So be clear as crystal. May the Spirit of God help me. Number one, truth exposes us to what we are. Truth. It has to begin with truth. You can't have grace without truth. You've got to have truth. And what truth does, it is plain to us about what we are. Get a hold of this. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Now, a lot of these verses I could quote, but I think it's important for the sake of the message today that you read along. So Romans chapter 7, not that you read out loud, but that you follow along as we read it. Notice beginning in verse 7. The scripture says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Yea, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, deceive me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Paul says, I didn't even know I was a sinner till I saw in the law that I was a sinner. That's the basic idea. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, the scripture says, uh, for the law was our schoolmaster that it might bring us to Christ. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. In other words, the schoolmaster, the law, teaches me I'm a sinner. I look at the Bible, the Bible says I've sinned. I look at the law, it says, as he says here, I had not known about the sin of being lustful until I read, thou shalt not covet, I've broken that law. 
Jesus told us what the great commandment is in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind. I have broken that commandment thousands of times, and you have too. I'm a sinner. He says, for there is no difference for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We stand condemned before him. As a matter of fact, go back to Romans chapter 3. So you're in, in Romans, just turn back a couple of pages. Romans chapter 3. And notice beginning at verse 19. Remember the point here is, truth exposes us for what we are. Look at verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, that is, made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." The truth of God's word, the truth of his law tells us what we are. We have broken God's law. We stand guilty before him. If you turn over just a few more pages to Galatians and in Galatians following 2 Corinthians and in Galatians chapter 3, I want you to notice verses 10 and 11. Notice very carefully. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What he's saying is, for any, if there's somebody here that is thinking that somehow if they keep God's law, that's going to take them to heaven. If they can just keep God's law, notice. He says again in verse 10 of chapter 3. So for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. So what happens is the fact that you have broken God's law already tells you you stand guilty before God. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Now, if you want to know what the definition of sin is, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Scripture declares this, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. I look at the law, it says I've transgressed the law, which means I have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. That's the truth of God's word. Now, that's why God says what he does in 2, Corinth, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I, let's keep turning back there. Let's go over to it. 2 Timothy. You say, where's that? Right after 1 Timothy. <laughs> 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, Okay which is right after the two books of, to the Thessalonians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice beginning in verse 15. He's writing to Timothy now, and he says to him, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what you believe. You say, well, I, I don't believe in any doctrine. Well, you do. Because to believe in no doctrine is to believe the doctrine of no doctrine. And the word doctrine simply means teaching. That's it. The word of God is profitable for doctrine and then for reproof. 
Notice then for correction and then for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You can never have too much truth. Truth is always true. Now, I realize that since 2016, when the Oxford Dictionary said that the key word for 2016 in the English language was post-truth, not like post-toasties, post-truth. Now, you say the term, a lot of people don't know what that means, but you look it up and here is what it means. It means you don't, ha- you don't have to necessarily have the truth to be true. You just got to believe that what you believe is truth, whether it's true or not, that makes it true. Which basically makes of the person their own Bible. So you've got people today who feel that they're not the physical sex that their body says they are. And therefore the world says today, then you are what you think. Or the example that I gave you last week of the prisoner over in England who was guilty of murder, who then believed that he was not a male, but a female. And so they paid for all the things that he had to go through only to become a female. But then he came convinced that he was really a tot. He was really a baby. And he was a she-baby. And so the guards had to actually lead him around by the hand. Why? Because he believed he was a baby. He wasn't a baby. He was in his 30s. He was rather tall. He'd already committed murder. But now he's a baby because he believed he was a baby. And the prison has some ignorant people up in their administration to give in to that nonsense. That's post-truth. Our whole governmental system is being set up exactly like that. So you've got parents today, not parents, you've got schools, public schools today, who are willing to transition little kindergartners without ever telling their mom and dad because the kindergartner feels that they might be a little boy, might feel he's a little girl, or a little girl might feel that she's a little boy, and they think they have the right to commit that kind of terrible sin against the children of those parents without ever telling the parents. Why? Post-truth. Because they believe it's true, therefore it is true, but it's only true if it's really true. See, how do you know what's true and what isn't? The Bible. The Bible. You can never have too much truth, and truth is always true. Now, I want you to get this. Here's the next point. Grace can only be given when truth is realized. A person must see himself as a sinner in the sight of God before he can receive God's grace. Several years ago, (laughs) there were a few of us that made a trip over to the country of Albania. Now, it's along the Adriatic Sea. And we were there. uh, We went to an orphanage in the capital city of Albania. And we were there to minister. We were going to try to have some services. We would go out during the day. And uh, we would play instruments and sing in the park. We'd pass out tracks as we walked along. Uh, to try to win people to Christ. Well, during the two weeks that we were there, there was one of our American astronauts that came to Albania. We went to the auditorium where he was going to appear. It was James Lovell. Some of you knew James Lovell and, uh, and know of James Lovell. Good guy, no doubt about it, please, please. I'm not doubting his salvation in any way, shape, or form. I am doubting the way he expressed himself. I don't know all the political ramifications that may have been there. I understand my ignorance on that part. But he was there because when he flew to the moon, he took with him, and I'm sure other flags too, but he took with him a small Albanian flag. And he came to Albania to present that flag 
to the Albanian officials as a flag that they, in honor of Albania, had taken to the moon and brought back. Now, he made the presentation, and James Lovell, who makes claims of being a born-again believer, and I don't doubt that. I'm, I'm sitting there listening to this, though. He began to give his testimony, and he said this. He talked about all the accomplishments that he had had in life and the things that God allowed him to do. And he began to realize that something was missing in his life. That there was a void in his life. And so he took, when he, when he I'm trying to think of the words that he actually used, about when he found Christ as his Savior, that filled the void in his life. Now let me tell you something. You don't receive Christ to fill a void. You receive Christ to save a sinner. That's you. Our problem is not a void. Our problem is sin. And the wages of sin is death. Believe me, I'm sure he is a believer. I'm not doubting that. But for some reason, that was, he just didn't follow it through. It's not a void. You need Christ as your Savior. If you don't feel you have a void, you still need Christ as your Savior. Because man is lost. And the wages of sin is death. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Let me just say, in order to get saved, you must see yourself as the truth says you are. A lost sinner. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mike Allison, I used to think that I was going to heaven because one day I'd stand before God and he'd put all my good works on one side of the great righteous scale in heaven and all my bad works on the other and the good would outweigh the bad. Now see, I saw myself, yes, as a sinner, but not a sinner deserving hell. And it wasn't until I came and was confronted with the truth of God's word that I was lost Because of my sin. And there was absolutely nothing I could do to save me but accept his free gift of eternal life by faith. I'm simply saying that grace can only be given when truth is realized. That's it. Not only that, and I want want you to get this. We ought to be able to handle this one, especially in our day today, where everybody feels entitled. Grace is not an entitlement. It is not something you deserve. Now, we have this idea that the government owes us all kinds of things. No, it doesn't. But we have developed in this country an entitlement mentality. I don't just deserve the opportunity to be rich, but the government needs to give to me so that I can go up the scale. That's not what this government's about, not what the Constitution was about, not what the Declaration of Independence was about. It's never been. The government has responsibilities to me, according to the word of God. It has the responsibilities to protect us. But when you end up with the post-truth idea that's out there, we, we think that they don't just, they're just not in the business of uh, protecting us, but they're to take care of me. They're to feed me. There to clothe me. No, that's not what government's about. It's not what government's about in the scripture. 
When you pervert the job of government, then you end up with government out of control. And that's what we have. Grace is not an entitlement. Uh, An example, in our nation, according to some people, if you're a sodomite with a live-in lover, then you're entitled to receive insurance for that lover. However, if you're a whoremonger with a live-in lover, you're not entitled. Now, wait, what's the difference between the two? Except the gender of the live-in lover. Why would they think that one is entitled and the other is not entitled? Because neither are entitled. People think that they're entitled to have the school feed their children. Hmm. You know, that's relatively new in this country. It wasn't that way when I was a kid. You brought your food to school. Well, until I got in high school, they started actually providing hot lunches for the school. We didn't have it in elementary school. We brought our food in. And you could buy milk at school, but they didn't just give it to you. Do you understand? That's the more, the more and more entitlements we get. So I can't stand taxes. Well, that's the reason you got taxes, because people are entitled to everything. They missed the boat. Now, grace is not an entitlement. It is getting something you do not deserve if, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please understand that. God doesn't give you grace unless you take Christ as your Savior. If you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, he's going to say, well, everybody ought to get to go to heaven. Listen, God wants everybody to go to heaven. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God provided a sacrifice so we who deserve hell could have an opportunity to go to heaven. But if you don't take his sacrifice, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, then you die and go to hell. And there are no exceptions. Everybody who dies without Jesus Christ burns in hell for eternity and there is no out. No excuses. It's the same for everybody. Not an entitlement. The word may say you are condemned. You're not entitled to forgiveness. Truth is, you commit murder. Truth says you should die. You cannot say that you owe me grace. No, you're owed judgment. That's what you're owed. For the wages of sin is death. Some people think that if they wrong another person, that the other person owes them forgiveness. No, they don't owe you forgiveness. They can forgive you or not forgive you. And if you get forgiveness, you ought to thank them for the forgiveness they've given you. But you're not owed it. Forgiveness is not an entitlement. God says he wants to forgive us and he's provided the sacrifice to pay for our sin. But you've got to take the sacrifice he gave. Without that, you remain lost. Now, that brings us to the fourth point. Get this. Truth must be acknowledged before grace can be received. A person must see themselves as lost before they can receive his grace. Now, it is true that God saves sinners as they are. But they must acknowledge the truth of what they are. You have the story in Luke chapter 18 of two men. One was a Pharisee, a very religious man. The other was a publican. And a publican in New Testament times was a tax collector. It was not a political party. It was a group of people who were tax collectors, kind of like Sanitation engineers are really garbage men. Publicans were tax collectors. Okay? Two terms that describe exactly the same thing. Um, you got that. Let me make sure I got the point I'm making here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've got the Pharisee. The Pharisee starts out, Jesus puts it this way. He prayed thus with himself, God... 
which lets us know, since he's praying with himself, his prayers aren't going any higher than his own voice can carry. He says, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. I'm not like this publican. I'm not an extortioner. I don't do this. I don't do that. I do this. I do this. I do this. God, thank you. I'm not like him. What about this other man, this publican, this dreaded tax collector? He won't even look up to heaven. He's so ashamed of his sin. He beats on his chest and he cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, this is the man that went to his house justified. That is declared not guilty before God rather than the other. That Pharisee, that religious man, he went to his house still in his sin. Because he did not acknowledge the truth as to what he was. The publican, he acknowledged the truth of what he was. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's the one that went to heaven. You see, at Madison Baptist Church, every member here, at least they better, every member here, they're not thinking that they're better than other people. That's the reason they're going to heaven. As a matter of fact, all the members at Madison Baptist Church understand they deserve hell. And the only reason they're not going to hell is because they saw themselves as the sinners they were and cried out to God to forgive them of their sin. And they took Christ as their Savior. And God did it. Now, I admit, if I died right now, I deserve to go to hell. But I won't go to hell because Jesus saved me. Without being saved, I'd still be lost. Part of the problem is too many people think they deserve to go to heaven when reality and truth says they are sinners who deserve hell. That leads us to the fifth and final thing. As a believer, I am to grow in both grace and truth. Now, Peter uses the terms mercy and truth in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Our knowledge and uh, I've got to look at it. Let me turn over to it. 2 Peter chapter 3, last verse in 2 Peter, as a matter of fact. And Scripture says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now to grow in grace, I must first grow in truth. If I'm going to extend grace to other people, now I'm not, I'm not talking about saving grace. If I'm going to extend grace to other people, giving them something good that they don't deserve, then I'm going to have to grow in truth. But growing in grace never means that I deny the truth. You know, I, 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 had, I had a family leave here one time, and the thing they told me, well, maybe we just have too much truth and not enough grace. Well, you can't have too much truth. I want you to get this. You can't have too much truth. It's not possible to have too much truth. Jesus didn't lessen his truth in order to get people saved. He's the perfect truth, fulfillment of God, so that he can offer that insurmountable grace that provides salvation for everybody. So growing in grace doesn't mean I deny truth. It means I must grow in truth. And the more truth I have, the more grace that I can exhibit. I'm going to show you, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. But knowing where and when to dispense grace, I must grow in Christ, in the grace and knowledge of Christ. I'm to study, to show myself approved unto God. For instance, Paul, go over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, he says, beginning in verse 21, he says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like the corruptible man, the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I'd like to write out in my Bible right here, yeah, the Marvel comic universe. 
where you've got all kinds of gods, from Loki to Thor to all the other Greek and Roman mythological gods that all have all these superpowers. Um, but what they are are just simply supermen that have all the emotional problems that men have. They act like they're gods. They're not gods. But you see, what is that? It's a perversion of truth. You understand? This is what man does. Changes the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. So they can talk about, you know, uh, yeah, the man upstairs. Well, he's not the man upstairs. That's not God. You understand? He's not the man upstairs. That's why when the book, The Shack, came out, which pictured God in the shack as a female, that's not God. That's a fulfillment of this right here. He says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now notice this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And then he says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the, now notice the terminology here, natural use to that which is against nature. Now, how do we know it's against nature? Because in the beginning, God created the male and female. He created the female because he saw it was not good for man to be alone. That's truth. Now, the world hates people like us today because they don't want the truth to be truth. You see, people who do this type of stuff right here, change the truth of God into a lie, these are people who have rejected truth. They've taught, and until they come to the truth, they're going to remain lost. They're going to have to turn to the truth of God's word in order to be saved. He said, but, but, but wait just a second, preacher. Aren't we supposed to give grace to them? Can't. I can't because they've not acknowledged truth yet. Until they acknowledge truth. Once they acknowledge truth. For instance, I don't care if it's the whoremonger, the harlot, or the homosexual, or the drunkard. When they acknowledge the truth as to what they are in the sight of God then they can be saved through Jesus Christ. But until they acknowledge God's truth about it, about their sin and what they deserve, they're going to stay lost. That's reality. I can tell you you're thinking. Some people are, your brow's wrinkling just a little bit. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. Now notice how this worked for the apostle Paul. We're almost done. Acts chapter 20 and verse 31. At this point, he is dealing with a city. He was dealing with a city that had been steeped in idolatry. He had preached unto them and they received the truth. Now they were lost. They were on their way to hell. They were lost in all kinds of sins. Notice... Paul, who was full of grace, did this. He said, therefore, verse 31, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. He didn't leave off certain groups. He warned everyone night and day with tears. You see, he had the truth. But the truth could send them back and say, hey, they're going to hell. They're going to hell. They're going to hell. They're going to burn forever. And he'd be right about that. But see, he was full of grace in that those who were going to hell, and many of the people that he, he won at Ephesus were part of that group of people who had tried to capture him and kill him. But because he knew the truth, he then could extend grace to them to preach to them the truth. Who? All of them. He gave them all the truth. We've got Christians today who understand the sinfulness of the many different things that are out there, but there are certain groups they don't want to witness to because they're sinners. What's the problem? They're short on grace. 
They're not short on truth. They're short on grace. See, we have a responsibility to reach those who are lost. All of them. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I'm to be full, not just of truth, I'm to be full of grace and truth. It's my responsibility. In Romans 1.14, the apostle Paul said, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and also to the barbarians, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. He saw himself as a debtor to win the lost. And I am a debtor as a child of God to tell them of Christ. Give you one last example. There was a woman taken in adultery in John chapter 8. Now, Jesus wrote something in the sand. We don't know what it was when she was brought, but these people, the people that brought this woman in, said she was taken in adultery in the very act. They weren't really concerned about her at all. They were simply trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, uh, well, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now, we don't know what he wrote in the sand. I've got some ideas of probably what he wrote. But every one of those men left. They had disobeyed the very law they were trying to get Jesus to fulfill and have this woman stoned. She deserved, according to the law, she deserved to be stoned. The problem was both the man and the woman were to be stoned. They didn't bring the man They just brought the woman. Now, so they all leave one by one. So Jesus now is standing there and the woman's there. Where are thine accusers? No man, Lord. Well, according to the law of God, you could not put anybody to death without at least two witnesses. All the witnesses are gone. So Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. He wasn't saying it was all right what she did. Because his next statement is then, go and sin no more. Jesus acknowledges that what she did was sin. But Jesus, being the Son of God, obey God's word to the letter. He couldn't have her put to death because the law said it took two witnesses. There were none left to do it. But he didn't let her off by denying what she did was sin. He acknowledged it before her and all the others that were around her. Go and sin no more. He fulfilled truth. Grace and truth. Jesus was full of both. If you have not been born again, if you don't have eternal life, you could come to Jesus today. I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care how horrible your sins may have been. Your actions may have been. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he, by his grace, will forgive all of that. If you'll get honest before him of your sinful condition, he'll save you and give you eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, please... Make the gospel message plain. I pray for those watching over the internet. God, make it plain to their hearts. We're to be full of both grace and truth as well. I pray, dear God, that you would deal with our hearts about winning others and for the lost. Convict them of their sin, of righteousness and of judgment. May they see themselves for how you see them in their sin, that they'd come to Christ and be saved. For I ask it in Jesus' name.